Welcome to the Kitchen Sink meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Please note, we will be holding this meeting via Zoom for the foreseeable future. If you'd like to attend the meeting live, go to oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. My name is Bob. I'm a compulsive overeater, recreational sugar addict. Um, I'll get some stuff out of the way right away. Um, I didn't find this program until I was 66 years old. So to the newcomers, I sell welcome and keep coming back because this program works. God, with God's help and God willing, um, in three weeks, I will have nine years of continuous abstinence, one day at a time. This is a one day at a time program. Um, I have some pictures. I'm not sure if they all show, but this is the befores. I think, I think you can probably see. Um, you know, I didn't have a face. I had a pie for a face. Um, you know, let's see here. They're not that great, but they kind of show what it was. Um, I'm currently maintaining about a uh, 65 to 70 pound weight loss. And uh, this is all because of the grace of God and this program. I was a, I was a normal child till about the age of four or five that I can remember. I think I was probably born a compulsive overeater. Uh, my parents were heavy, but not fat. They ate a lot, but not compulsively. Um, I was born with no off switch, uh, no full switch. I'm sorry, no full switch. Um, there was never enough food for me. So I was a chubby kid, which became a fat kid. When I got into high school, in the days that I grew up, the um, – you know, if you were big, you played football. So I started exercising and playing football. What that did was maintain um, 235 pounds in high school because I was working out all the time, but still compulsively overeating. I don't think there is a day between the age of 5 and 66 that I didn't overindulge on recreational sugar. Every single day of my life, multiple times every single day. Um, I got out of high school, went to college, wasn't good enough to play football in college. Um, so that's when drinking and eating really took over. Probably gained 40, 50 pounds during college, um, got into the workforce, and, you know, was in a, a business where I was client service, so I was taking clients out to dinners, lunches, and drifted toward compulsive overeaters because that's who I could relate to the most in my demented brain because I have a disease of the brain. Um, so I went through work, you know, somewhere my high weight was 308, my lowest weight was 195 through extreme diet and exercise. I wish I could say I was a 100-pounder that ever lost 100 pounds, never lost 100 pounds. I lost 20, 30, 40, gained back 50, lose another 20, 30, gain back 40. That was my life from the age of 21, 22 to 66. That was my life. 
it was extreme dieting, extreme working out, extreme dieting, extreme working out, always with food as my comfort, my salvation, the thing that soothed me. Um, so anyways, uh, about 25, I moved, 25 or 26, I moved to California, the home of the beautiful bodies, and thought, oh, this is great. You know, gained about 50 pounds when I got out here. So, and then I got married. So I lost 50 or 60 pounds to get married. And that started this workout routine where workouts seven days a week, two, three hours a day to maintain your weight. So it would maintain 220 then 230, then 240, then 250, then 260. Now, think of the insanity of what I'm saying, that I'm working out seven days a week to maintain, and my brain doesn't see a problem with this, that I'm maintaining 220, then 230, then 240, then 250, probably 260. And then in my early 50s, what happened was I basically wore my body out. I had double hip replacement. I had a knee replacement. I, I had worn my body out from carrying all the weight. I had hundreds of doctors, friends, family, people concerned about my health come to me and beg me. And I thought they were nuts and I was doing the right thing. I never saw myself as an addict. I never, ever even considered the fact that I had a disease. I thought I didn't have the willpower. I could go on a diet. I could lose 20 pounds, 25 pounds. And that addict who sits on my shoulder 24 hours a day, seven days a week, would whisper in my ear, well, you can have one piece of cake. You can have one bite of this. You can have a cookie. What's a cookie going to kill you? You can have it. One cookie led to a dozen cookies, led to three dozen cookies. One piece of cake led to a cake. I had no off switch when it came to recreational sugar. Um, I can tell you horror stories about my eating habits. The one thing I can say is, well, there's two things I can say. Never took laxatives, and I never threw up. I also never thought I had a problem. I thought that I couldn't control the way I ate. There were day upon day of misery, of having to lay in bed at night sitting up because I was so full I couldn't lay down, praying that I would have a heart attack. This is how demented my mind was. I would pray that I would have a heart attack so I would have to go in the hospital and doctor would put me on a restricted diet, knowing full well that I couldn't last on that diet three days. Um, and I thought this was a willpower problem. I thought this was the fact that I had given in. That I never, and by the way, when I say dieting, I mean dieting. I ate salads for lunch. If you went out to dinner with me, I had a piece of fish. I had a salad. I always had the dessert because I figured in my mind, well, I eat this and I eat this. And by the way, the drinking went through college, but I gave up the drinking at an early age because I had, 
I had no resistance to alcohol. I didn't like the taste of alcohol. I might be the only person in the world from Wisconsin that never drank beer because I didn't like the taste of it. But I didn't like the taste of alcohol either. So alcohol was easy for me to give up. Food, never easy. Um, I have all the horror stories, eating out of the trash, eating off the floor. I have every story that people have. The one thing I didn't do, I have to remember, remind myself, I never ate frozen food. I was too much of a connoisseur of junk food to eat frozen food. So um, at one point, my daughter said to me, my car and my room are like a 7-Eleven. There was food everywhere. I couldn't go five feet without having tons of food always around me. Um, so, and the other side of this is I was in an industry that I did very well in. So I was very successful in my business. But at the same time, the inner person always felt insecure. Every time I walked into a room, I felt like everybody was looking at me, that I was the oddball because everybody else was normal size. And when I talk about normal-sized people and normal people, I have to remember to tell everybody. I live with normal people. All my friends are normal. My families, are outside families, are normal people. They have, every party is tons of desserts, tons of, of, of recreational sugar. Sugar is everywhere. Right now in my house, there's 20 ice cream bars because my wife was dropping them off for a socially distanced party that didn't happen because of all the smoke that we've been going through in Los Angeles. Um, there's chocolate in this house all the time. There's desserts in this house all the time. God gave me the strength after my first meeting to understand what I heard in this room was that's not my food. And i Abstain from recreational sugar, sweets, for almost nine years. And God willing, I'll make it to nine years on a day-to-day -day basis. And I also learned in this program, this is a day-to-day -day program. It's one day at a time. One of my best friends in the world is 50 years in AA. And he's gone through a horrific past five, six years. Lawsuits, business problems, health issues. and I call him up all the time, and I complimented him on his program, how strong it's been, and he goes, remember, Bob, this is a one-day-at-a-time program. Turn your will and your power over to a higher power, and you will get through it. You'll get through anything in this program. So I really have to reinforce that, because I heard a share last weekend where somebody said, I heard about OA. It took me 10 years to get here because my ego was too big for the door. It took me 66 years to get into these rooms because my ego and probably my body was too big to get through the door. But I never thought I had a problem. That's how much in denial I was of what the real issue was. Um, so that was what it was like. What happened was I went to a holiday party for one of my employees, and his wife is a caterer for – a country club, does all the events, major events. So at this party, she has food from all the suppliers that, that bring for her parties. And there's tables full of 
appetizers and pizzas and pastas and everything else. And I'm, of course, gorging myself on everything. And then there's a five-foot-long table stacked with desserts. And I walk up to the table after I've eaten so much out of everything else, and I'm going to have dessert because there's no way I'm denying myself of dessert. And there's a guy in front of me, not a tiny guy, not a small guy, just, you know, little heavy set guy sitting in front of me, and he has, he's getting fresh fruit. And I said, wait a minute, you're not going to have a dessert because I haven't had a sugary dessert in 10 years. And that was God striking me. That was a God shot because I listened, which I would never, ever, ever do. And I followed him outside, and he told me about OA and suggested I go to a meeting, and he suggested the kitchen sink because it was in the log cabin, and I was familiar with the log cabin because of friends of mine in AA who had years and years of recovery from the log cabin. And I went home. Well, I told my wife that night. I told my daughter the next day, and they were excited. But I said, you know, he wants me to give up recreational sugar. Not me. My daughter, my wife, were 99.9% convinced there's no way in the world I could give up recreational sugar. It just wasn't going to happen. So he suggested the meeting. That was a Saturday night. The meeting was the following Saturday. So about Thursday, I'm like, eh, maybe I'll go to a meeting later. You know, Friday, eh, you know, I don't think I'm going to go to this meeting. What the hell? They, you know, I, I can always go to a meeting. I'll, I'll find another meeting. And my daughter said, I'll go with you. So my daughter took me to my first meeting and sat next to me. And I heard the message. Oh, the moment I walked in the room, I heard the message. And it was the first time in my life that I realized I had a disease, that I really had a disease. I was a compulsive overeater. I was powerless over food. And I quickly learned I had to turn my will and my power over to a higher power. And thank God was important to me. Thank God God was important to me in my life. God had saved me numerous times. And a child, I had some very tragic accidents, fell out of a second-story window onto a cement driveway when I was two years old, had brain concussion, skull fracture, broke every bone on my left side, should have been dead. The hospital told my mother angels must have caught him because there's no way he would be alive. Um, so God was always important in my life. But, and I prayed to God many times to fix my eating, but I didn't realize that wasn't what God was for. God was to help me find my own power. So I struck abstinence from that first meeting. But I have to tell you, I'm a slow learner. So for the first two, two and a half years in this program, I thought giving up recreational sugar, well, I've got it not. Five minutes, Bob. I read the literature. I do everything else. No problem. What I realized from going to meetings, reading the literature, listening to podcasts was, no, you have to control everything that you eat. So that set me on the path that I've gone on now, which is... I'm accountable for my food. I report my food to my sponsor every single day. I am rigorously honest about what I eat. 
My compulsion is food still calls me at times, not as bad as it ever, as it used to be, never close to what it was. And I have tools if it does call. I have an incredible group of fellows in this program that I can reach out to and talk to. And I've met people from all over the country who've reached out to me. I have a sponsee. My sponsor told me early on, get a sponsee. It will help you. I now have a sponsee. I'm so happy because I'm helping somebody. Um, and the other thing I will say is in these rooms, there was no judgment. There was open arms and there was love and there was an understanding. I had a disease. Some of my best friends now in the world are in these rooms. Some of the people I'm closest to are in these rooms. Because you cannot talk to a normal person about an eating disorder. One of my best friends who should be in this program, and I've 12-stepped him and took him to a meeting, and he thought it was a cult and everybody was nuts, but said to me, I don't understand this. You can't eat a dessert, but you can eat bread? Well, that doesn't make any sense to me. You can have one bite of a dessert. It's very hard for somebody to understand what the trigger foods are. I know what my trigger foods are. I try to control them. I'm not perfect. It's progress, not perfection, and it's one day at a time. That's the greatest thing I can tell you about this program and what it's done for me. I've gone through cancer treatment. I've had numerous surgeries in this program and never broke my abstinence once. These were all reasons why I would have done it in the past, while I would have eaten to satisfy myself. I heard a woman in a share a couple of weeks ago say, you know, sometimes the telephone weighs 800 pounds and the refrigerator door weighs 8 ounces. You know, we need to reverse that. We need that the telephone weighs 8 ounces and the refrigerator door. And she also said, I've never found love, compassion, or understanding in the refrigerator. And those are things that are branded in my brain. When I heard halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired the first time, I literally almost fell out of my chair. It was every reason I ate. I ate for every reason known to mankind. But this is a program of recovery, one day at a time. It saved my life, and I'm so thankful to be here. I'm thankful for everybody in this room because everybody's had an impact on me. And the shares and the meetings and the stories, you can relate to anybody. I've seen anorexics get up to speak, and I'm thinking, what am I going to hear from this person? And we have the exact same disease. It's crazy what food does and what it makes you do. Um, I'm so grateful to be here. And I'm grateful to be a part of this. And I'm grateful to share the message as much as I possibly can. And I'm grateful to be a recovering compulsive overeater and a recreational sugar addict. And I can't wait um, to the next phase of this program. The other thing is certain people in this room have mentioned it numerous times. You're a newcomer for the first 15 years. I talked to a guy yesterday who was 39 years who said he was a newcomer. And this is a program you don't ever graduate from, but this is a program that gives you serenity and gives you a platform to address any issue you have. 
So for the newcomers, once again, I say keep coming back. It works. It definitely works. Um, it's a miracle that I gave up recreational sugar. It's a miracle. It was my life for years and years and years. Um, and I will leave you with one story. I I have an addiction. Your time, actually, but go oh, ahead. That's it. Okay, I'll give you a quick story. No, that's all right. We'll save it for another time. Now is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. The secretary will call on you, and you can unmute and ask your question. Excellent. Michael B. Hi, Bob. Thank you for your share. Hey, I'd like to hear that quick story that the timer prevented you from telling. <laughs> so to, to say that I don't have an addictive brain would be an understatement. A couple of years ago, you know, this is in the summer. There were Dodger dog commercials everywhere on television. I went to my local convenience store, and I was going to get my drug of choice, which is a Diet Coke. And when I got there, they had Dodger dogs. And I thought, you know, the addictive brain that sits on my shoulder said, you can have a Dodger dog. What the heck? Have a Dodger dog. That'll be your lunch. Just eat a Dodger dog. Don't worry about it. Eat the Dodger dog. So, of course, I bought the Dodger dog. Came outside, I had my Diet Coke in one hand, the Dodger dog in the other hand, and I had to reach into my pocket to get the key to open up my door. I put the Dodger dog on the roof of my car, got the key out, the Dodger dog slid down onto the ground. And my reaction before program would have been to pick it up and eat it. With program, I looked up at the sky and said, thank you, God. So that was the story. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Julie. Thanks, Bob. Um, how has your abstinence and working the steps had an effect on your personal family relationships? It's 100% better because I was, I, was on, I, was, I was not there for my family. I wasn't there for anybody. I was there for food. Food controlled everything in my life. I made amends to everybody in my family very quickly in this program because I realized I had put food before them. I mean, I, 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 I wanted to believe I was a great father and a great husband, but the truth of the matter was I was, there was something removed from me. I was, I was distant and I've become much more willing to make amends when I'm wrong. Um, my ego has been reduced significantly because it was, believe me, it was overboard. And someone said once in a meeting that they went to a party and they barely could talk to anybody because all they could do was concentrate on the food. I really think that was my life. I think the food controlled everything in my life. Um, I remember all the way back as a kid, we used to have a, Sunday night fish fry, and I hated, I grew up in Wisconsin, where they had fish with thousands of bones in them, and I wouldn't eat the fish, so I would go in the kitchen and make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. 
food was more important to me than sitting around the dinner table with my family. So it's changed tremendously. The program, I think, has saved the relationship with my family. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, Nancy B. My name is Nancy B. I'm a compulsive overeater, 100-pounder. I've had 44 holiday seasons of abstaining at Overeaters Anonymous and 150-pound weight loss. Fantastic share. Fantastic. I loved it. Um, as we're coming upon the holidays quicker than some of us would like, um, you mentioned that you have a lot of food in your house, where for me it was Girl Scout cookies and Bluebird candy. You seem to have a lot. And um, I cannot believe that in the beginning this wasn't difficult. I understand the program that we work is not our food plan or the tools. It's what we do every day to try to make life easier. Could you share with us the things we can do or hints or things that people can do to not take that first compulsive bite or have just a little because it's a special occasion? So are there things, spiritual, you know, do you read books? Do you call your sponsor? Talk to us about what you do every day. Thank you, Nancy. Yes, well, in the beginning... Here's what I will say. I was very lucky that I heard the message and I was desperate enough. Desperate. That's the key to it. I was desperate enough. I report my food every single day to my sponsor and he asked me for three things in the beginning. Go to meetings, get a commitment, and be rigorous, honest with me about what you're eating. Because I can't help you if you don't tell me what you're eating. Recreational sugar was something I was able to put down immediately. I wasn't able to put down a lot of other food. And when I would write to him or call him, and I would say, because I got into that sugar-free candy habit, you know, mm-hmm. where like all of a sudden I'm overindulging, and I said to him, I'm eating a lot of sugar-free candy. I don't think this is good. And he goes, you just answered your own question. <laughs> Make up your own mind. Reaching out to people. I, I, I said it took me two and a half years to be able to pick up the phone and call somebody. Two and a half years. That was a mistake. I listened to a ton of podcasts. I used to eat lunch listening to a podcast, either AA or OA. That helped me tremendously. Listening to shares, having fellows in this program that I can share all my ugliness with, um, you know, about food. That's very important. And it's, I, I'm very, very, very lucky that I was struck abstinent. And about six months into this program, we were having a huge party at our house, and my wife sent me to the bakery to pick up, like, 26 brownies, 26 cookies, 20, and I'm driving back, and all of a sudden it dawns on me. It's sitting in the front seat next to me in the car, but it's not my food. That was God. That wasn't me. That was God. And I never touched any of it. Before program, I would have eaten half of it before I got home. Thank you. Thank you. Nancy D. Hi. Thanks, Bob, so much for your share. I think my question might have piggybacked off Nancy B's question, but um, but my question is, like, when the phenomenon of craving happens now or if it happens, what are the action steps to, that you take to, like, bring you back into, like, food neutrality? Well, I, I do, you know, they do the serenity prayer. I try to, I, I try to stop. A dear fellow of mine, who's probably one of my closest people in this program, 
called me the other day and said, I just ate a bowl of cherries standing in front of the refrigerator. And I said, our problem is, our disease is, it's in our mouth going down our throat before our brain recognizes we're eating it. So what I had to do, because I've had those situations in the last eight and nine-tenths years, what I've had to do is stop and say, why do I need it? What is compelling this? What is happening with this? If I have to reach out to somebody, I reach out to somebody. Or if I have to go listen to a podcast or read something. And what I've found is in the beginning of COVID, I had a lot of problems being locked up in my house. I'm a very active person. I'm out socializing all the time, going all over the place. Keeping me being busy helped me stop eating. Me being busy, being strapped in my house was death for me. And then my son-in-law and my daughter moved in with us because they were doing construction, and they're normal people. And they brought all their food with them, and it was killing me. You know, and I just had to go and use these tools that were given to us to, to just not overindulge. Do I do everything perfectly? Absolutely not. It's progress, not perfection. And, you know, the greatest gift I've been given is one day at a time. Thank you. Uh, Jane. Hi. Uh, thank you so much, Bob, for your lead. Brought, brought up so many memories for me when I first started out. Um, can you talk about your uh, connection with your higher power? How do you communicate with your higher power? And um, this is just out of my own curiosity. Do you get down on your knees when you're praying? Thank you. I don't. I probably should. I don't. Um, I, As I said, I've had a strong connection with God my whole life because it goes back to when I was a kid. Um, but what I do is between the serenity prayer praying to God every day, asking God to take care of my family, and thanking God. Here's something that's very important. I do a gratitude list every day to my sponsor, and I didn't do that till about maybe six, eight months ago when I heard it in a share. The woman said, I do a gratitude list. And one of the things that I'm grateful for, which I list in there, is thanking God for keeping me alive for 75 years of abuse that I did to my body. And that's the way I connect with God. And I try to do meditation every day. I wish I did it better. I don't. I try to. And meditation really helps me. But, you know, I I, I do have a spiritual connection with God, and I definitely reach out to him, and I thank him all the time because um, he has. He's kept me alive through a lot of a lot of difficult situations. Excellent. Alexis. Hi, I'm Alexis Composer of Rita from London in England. Thank you so much, Bob, for your um, share. It's been really, really helpful. And I want to ask you about sponsorship. You mentioned um, being a sponsor, um, would it, your sponsor suggested. And I just wondered, at what stage do you feel ready to take on a sponsee? Well, I was scared to death. My sponsor told me this, by the way, probably six months into the program, and I was scared to death, and I started raising my hand about a year ago, you know, when people said, will you be a sponsor? I started raising my hand, and nobody took me up on it, so um, I felt bad, but I think it's when you feel you're in control of the program. I think when you feel, and I, that's just me, personally, 
Um, I would talk, if you have a sponsor, I would talk to your sponsor because my sponsor wanted me to do it at an early part because he said it would help me with my program, and now I realize he was right. He was right. I get as much out of telling her what to do and helping her as I do it for myself. Ten minutes, Bob. Right. Uh, Lillian? Hi, Bob. Thank you for your pitch. I, my question was going to be about the spiritual side, but you've answered that. So could you just say, what is your average food plan for a regular day? Like what you have for your meals? <laughs> well, I have uh, three meals and two snacks. And the two snacks in the beginning were almost meals. I mean, that was the crazy part. Um, but I, for breakfast, nine times out of ten, I have a protein shake that I make. It's just a protein powder and a, some strawberries and a banana and um, what do you call it? Uh, what's the milk that's not milk? Whatever the hell it's called. I know. I know. I forget what it is. But um, that's 90% of the time my breakfast. For lunch, sometimes I'll have a salad. Sometimes I'll have a sandwich. Um, and for dinner, you know, that's still an issue. You know, dinner can be a lot more food. I, I use a, uh, I use a, uh, my fitness pal to count my calories every day. Um, so some, and I still, I mean, I still go through this. If I miss a meal or if I have a low calorie meal, I think I can make it up at the next meal. I have to work on that. That's something I work on every day. Um, and I'm trying to eat a balanced amount of calories for each meal. Um, and the snacks have really cut down in the last three or four months because I had a real issue during COVID. And I went, sought outside help. And my therapist kind of helped me understand why I was having depression and why I was having all these problems and why food was very very much in my life. And it was because of this isolation being restricted. I have a compromised immune system, so I really can't be around other people outside of my family. Um, I'm afraid to go anywhere. My doctor's got me at patient number one with COVID. So, you know, it's been very restrictive, but um, it's really helped me tremendously to not overeat. And, and I try to use the tools to stop from overeating. Thank you. And actually, Bob, I have a question. Can you explain a little bit more how your relationships with others, whether it's people close to you or, you know, maybe even strangers, but how your relationships with others have actually changed since you've been in the program and an abstinent? Well, I think I'm more compassionate, and I definitely think I'm not trying to lead everybody's life. I'm not trying to control and direct everybody's life. Um, that was me. I definitely tried to control everybody around me. I think I'm more compassionate, and I think that I'm a better friend. I've apologized and made amends to many, many people around me because uh, – you know, I, I wouldn't say I was a rageaholic, but I definitely had anger issues. And, you know, I controlled a lot of that, and I've tried to just be a better person. That's basically what I can say. I've tried to be a better person. I'm more responsible for my actions. That's the best way I can put it. 